Turn with me in your Bibles to Romans chapter 1. You'll find it on page 939. And uh, Romans chapter 1, and we're looking this morning at verses 11 to 12. And uh, as uh, we turn to that passage, let us then pray. Speak, O Lord, through your holy word to fulfill your purposes and for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. So, friends, Romans chapter 1, beginning at verse 11. Let's hear God's word. For I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. Well, if you've probably uh, gone out uh, the... uh, on the checkout line at the grocery store and you pick up a magazine and you'll notice there'll be advertisements of various things. Inevitably these days, one of the advertisements will be for some protein supplement or nutrient of one kind or another that's designed to make us strong. Well, this text is designed to help us grow strong. Uh, Paul had a specific uh, goal in visiting the Romans, namely, uh, to strengthen them. Actually, this was a uh, fairly typical strategy of the apostles. You read through Acts, and by the way, isn't it wonderful? We've had two Lukes dedicated this morning. The the author of Acts must be rejoicing. Uh, uh, If you read through Acts, you'll notice that Paul had uh, this strategy. He'd He'd go and plant churches, and then he'd circle back around them again, And Luke tells us this was a particular purpose, namely to strengthen them. And so here, to strengthen them. Now, Paul had never been to Rome, of course, and he'd not planted a church there. But nonetheless, he tells the Romans that a goal when he visited them was to strengthen them. Now, this is the goal of this text. Now, the overall theme or melodic line of Romans as a book, as, as we've seen, you may remember, is this, a bold reminder of the gospel of God for the sake of all nations. This is what he has written them. He tells them in Romans 15, a bold reminder of the gospel of God for the sake of all nations. And uh, Paul then wants the Roman Christians to have this solid foundation, the gospel of God, so that they can be a reliable base for reaching their neighbors and the world for the glory of Christ. And to that end, he has two harmonies on that melodic line, namely the righteousness of faith, verse 17, and the obedience of faith. They harmonize on the melodic line all the way through uh, the book of Romans. But now in this text, verses 11 to 12, Paul tells us that uh, he has a particular purpose for this theme why he's longing to visit them, which is to strengthen them. seems to be that in Paul's mind, if the Romans were to be this kind of launching pad for world mission, they still needed, they were a good church, but they still needed to be strengthened. 
They are not there yet. Uh, They must be strengthened. Well, straight away, let's stop and ask ourselves this. Perhaps there are some here this morning who are feeling weak spiritually. Well, this text is designed to help us grow strong. And perhaps you're someone who feels like you've been on a plateau. You've plateaued for a while. Well, this text is designed to help us grow strong, all of us. Uh, uh, Sometime in the past, a few years ago or so, I returned to a gym. This may surprise you. I do not exercise in a suit and tie. (laughs) At a gym, you see all sorts, from muscle men to me, all trying to strengthen themselves. One of the mantras of gym culture to this day is the familiar phrase, no pain, no gain, meaning that you must put in the hard work to strengthen yourself. However, spiritual strength is not quite like going to the gym. Spiritual strength is not by mere human effort, but by grace or spiritual gift, verse 11. Spiritual strength is not by mere religious discipline, but by mutual encouragement of faith. Religion, human religion tells us that we can become spiritually strong by performing certain religious exercises, a bit like going to a religious gym. Instead of bench pressing more, we just need to pray more. Instead of jogging for longer on the treadmill, we just need to read the Bible for longer in our quiet time. A bit of effort here, hey presto, spiritual maturity. And after all, most areas of life work by the principle of no pain, no game. And so we assume that spiritual strength is acquired in a similar fashion by taking a pilgrimage to Mecca or Rome or a Christian conference. However, God's gym is not like gold's gym. It is not by law, but by grace. And Paul here is showing the Romans and us how to be strengthened, how to build spiritual strength through two grace-filled exercises. There, if you like, a bench press and bicep curls. First, we build spiritual strength by the bench press of what Paul terms the impartation of spiritual gift. Look at verse 11 with me. He writes there, For I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. What does Paul mean by spiritual gift in this context? There are at least four possibilities. Three, I think, are wrong and one right. (laughs) Here's uh, the first one. One, some say that by spiritual gift, here Paul means the same as he does in 1 Corinthians. There, the charisma, it's it's the word charisma here behind spiritual gift. There in 1 Corinthians, the charisma were the special spiritual gifts that all followers of Jesus have, which are for the building up of the body and and the glory of Jesus. And Paul could mean that here too. And certainly we looked at that when we studied 1 Corinthians. But it's unlikely that here he has in mind those kind of spiritual gifts in that sense in here because it's not the emphasis of this letter and it doesn't play as prominent a role in Romans as it does in 1 Corinthians, so I don't think it's that. Others then say, this is the second uh, possibility, they say that by spiritual gift, in this context, Paul means the miraculous gift that accompanied the work 
of an apostle. Well, Paul certainly did have uh, such miraculous gifts, and they did accompany his work as an apostle. However, while it's possible that Paul means that sort of miraculous gift, there is again in this context little other indication in Romans that that's what Paul means, that he means that sort of special miracle that would show that he was an apostle of Christ. It doesn't seem to be what he's saying here. He, he doesn't pick it up anywhere else. Well, then, number three, some say that what Paul means by spiritual gift is then left intentionally vague. And so he says some spiritual gift, indicating uh, such people would say that Paul has not yet decided what particular kind of gift that he's going to bring when he visits them, what sort of emphasis. After all, he hasn't met the Romans yet, so he doesn't know what they need. And so he's just saying, I'm going to give you some kind of spiritual gift when I... Turn up, and I haven't yet decided what it is. Well, I suppose that's possible. But the fourth possibility, which in my mind is surely correct, is this one. That by spiritual gift, Paul means here a further development of the spiritual gift that he's now giving them through the letter to the Romans. This is what will strengthen them right here. And so if you turn with me to the end of Romans, uh, chapter 16, verse 25, you'll see he picks up that idea and confirms this interpretation, I think. 16, verse 25, he says, Now to him who is able to strengthen you. Well, how are they going to be strengthened? According to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ. So that which will strengthen them is the further development of his letter to the Romans, which he will further expound when he arrives, namely the gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ. And to confirm this interpretation, this is the kind of thing that Paul, the kind of way that Paul thought. He says the same uh, when he uh, is saying goodbye to the leaders of the church in Ephesus. He reminds them in that place that this word of God's grace is able to build them up, Acts 20, verse 32. It's a characteristic emphasis of Paul's. Now, the word here for gift is charisma. It's a distinctly Pauline word, a word that Paul frequently uses. It's much less often used in other ancient literature than it is in Paul's writing, and it's intended to express the gift of God that comes from the grace of God, the charisma from the charis, the grace of God. And I think then in this place, this spiritual gift is this word of grace, this teaching of Paul that is what we read about in his letter to the Romans. This is what he wants to impart to them. In other words, it is Bible teaching, (laughs) understanding more about God, learning the truth of Christ, developing the mind of Christ, this word of grace the charis from the charisma, this gospel, this preaching of Jesus Christ, as he confirms at the end of Romans, which will strengthen us. Martin Lloyd-Jones, in his commentary on these uh, words, put it like this, it is always the unlearned who are unstable. Or we might say, uh, those who become spiritually weak usually do so because they have a doctrinal leak. Or the uneducated will be the unedified, not built up. 
Well, do you remember how Paul describes it in his letter to the Ephesians? He says there that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. Instead, through the teaching, the speaking the truth in love to each other, we will be built up. And so when Paul visits them in Rome, he wants to further develop what he's saying here in this letter. This is his summary, his summary of his teaching. Well, when he comes to Rome, he's going to bring the spiritual gift of expounding that, explaining that in person, applying that. This letter is merely the synopsis of the sort of thing that Paul said when he visited the churches to strengthen them. I mean, after all, when he went to visit the churches, sometimes he preached so long, he preached into the middle of the night. He developed, expounded, exposited, explained this here, which is an outline, merely. The spiritual gift is what he is saying in this letter, further explained by him. So, my friends, I hope that we're, you know, appreciating, enjoying studying this letter to the Romans because its purpose is to strengthen us. We need to spend time in it and think about it and understand it in order for us as a church to be strengthened. I'm enjoying preaching it. Uh, My one regret is that I'm going too fast. Now, this is the gift, as Luther put it, of the ministry of teaching. That's Martin Luther. That's what he said about that. Uh, It is uh, this that will strengthen us. Then we immediately may apply that to us in several ways. For instance, as we look at the larger church across the country, why is it that churches, our churches in our country, are weaker than we might long that they were? And when we ask that question, let's immediately ask another one, a diagnostic question. Are they emphasizing the exposition of the Bible? You know, some of you will realize that I spent about 10 years in New England working there. People used to say, oh, it's hard country there. And certainly there was a history of of churches growing weaker. What we discovered is one of the primary reasons, if not the primary reason why churches got weaker in that place, was because the ministers gave up preaching the Bible. And they started trying all sorts of other things to sort of solve their problems and grow the church and make it stronger. They got authority by, I don't know, claiming spiritual privileges or getting high church vestments or some technique or whatever it was. All sorts of different things, but not the Bible. And now in that place, there are many churches that are actually growing and becoming strong, and they're doing it because they're teaching the Bible. When we were there, it was almost as if you got to a point when you were in some of these churches where, you know, they tried everything else, and, and they say to themselves, you know, we've done everything else. Maybe we should try the Bible. Oh, it worked. And people think that the Bible's not uh, what those outside the church want to hear about. You know, when Harry Potter and the Goblet of the Fire was uh, the fastest-selling book in history, 378,000 in its first weekend, according to the Times, there was a letter to the editor of that newspaper by someone called N.C. Russell, who used to work for Oxford University Press, when the New English Bible was published. He said that uh, one million copies were printed globally, and it sold out by 10 a.m. of the first day. Or more recently, there's a new book out there called QI, Quite Interesting Facts. And in that book, uh, they uh, have found out that uh, the Bible is the most shoplifted book in America. 
You know, if you won't give it to them, they'll steal it. Now, why, did, why would someone come to church if they didn't want to hear what we thought about the Bible? And people try all sorts of other things. It's, it's, like, it's like food, of course, as we sung. Feed us with your holy word. We've got two boys in our family. None of them are teenagers, but when they are, they will never be full. Our churches need the Word. We need exercise too, as we will see in a moment, but we need the Word. And our churches in America will renew their strength when the Bible is open and it's taught. And so as a church, I'm preaching to the choir. I know we believe this, but I want us to keep on believing this so that we train up Bible teachers, we support our Bible teachers, and we send that message right across the country. That's how the church is going to get strong again. Seen it before. It's in the Word. That's what people are looking for. It will strengthen the church. This spiritual gift that will strengthen us, the word of grace, the charis and the charisma. But uh, that's not the only thing that Paul says. There's another part of this uh, grace-building exercise regime that he has for the Roman church and for us. And uh, now we're not just the bench press of the spiritual gift of biblical teaching, also second, the bicep curls of what Paul terms the mutual encouragement of faith. Look at verse 12. That is. He's almost sort of um, backing up a little bit in case he's misunderstood. Uh, That is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. How different is Paul? This is a verse that you would not see in many leadership seminars. How few of our celebrity leaders would write a sentence like that? Paul does not think that he has all the answers or that he needs to pretend that he's always the expert or that he has nothing to learn. Or that those who are less famous than him cannot teach him. He's going to the Romans to learn, not just to teach. He knows he's there to impart a spiritual gift, the exposition of the gospel of Christ, as we've already explained. That's not just the basics, not just the ABC. It's the A to Z. That is, it will strengthen us. It will give us gratitude in our hearts. You know, you get married, you fall in love. You get married, you realize you have unconditional love. You don't now say to yourself, great, I can do whatever I like. You have unconditional love, you get married, and you think, I'm going to do whatever I can for that person. Same with grace. The word of grace, as the Bible is taught, turns us from duty to joyful service. The exposition creates movement to mission and service. The more we see of the beauty of Christ, the more we want to worship Christ here and practically. So Paul is coming to visit them to impart this spiritual gift. He wants to teach them, to strengthen them. He wants to teach the gospel and preach Christ by the word of grace. But he's not only coming to tell them something. He's also coming to participate with them. This is so different from the way many celebrity leaders treat their ministries. I sometimes wonder whether that's sometimes why uh, such leaders lose their temper. They cannot quite understand that they're in it together with the people, or that they are one of the people. (laughs) Chuck Norris once said, men are like steel. When they lose their temper, they lose their worth. Well, 
maybe something to that. We need to understand, us leaders, that we are also the lead. See, for Paul, the charisma of communication occurs within the encouragement of community. It's so different from the way leaders lead today many often. It's so different from the way that the church treats many of its leaders very often. Church is not a spectator sport. We participate. There's mutual encouragement. We do it together. It's not just a movement, you know, where you're carried along by the persona of the personality at the front. Why? Because it's about our faith. That is, it's not about us at all. It's about Christ in us. We are encouraged when we look around at other believers and notice in them Christ as well. He is at work in them, and this lifts us up. It encourages us. It motivates us, and we have this mutual encouragement. You know, people have often got this wrong. They've often thought the way for the church to regain its strength is to have really clever strategy and set up a celebrity leader. And so, the different ways people try to do this. They sometimes give them special clothes or special vestments. Or sometimes they treat them like rock stars. I, I, I was shocked at one conference I went to recently when the pictures of the speakers on the posters were larger than you, you could believe. Massive, smiling visages of the celebrities beamed down at us from every wall, looming over us as sort of mini-idols. I'm sure it was done with the best of intentions, but I tell you, I didn't get much of any idea that they were there for mutual encouragement of the faith. Of course, Paul was an apostle, and he was going to teach them. I mean, who would preach if the apostle was here, right? He would preach. He was an apostle, but he was going to be part of them. It seems to me this is one of the great secrets of effective Christian leadership, certainly long-lasting Christian leadership. There's one very well-known Christian leader who, if I said his name, many of us would know. Whenever I see him off stage, off stage, even the word is strange, isn't it? Off stage. Whenever I see him not behind the pulpit, let's put it like that, I see him happily talking to someone to the side, chatting away out of the limelight, just like one of us, for he is one of us. Now, if you're planning to be a pastor, you know, Remember, you are, first of all, a member of the church before you're the pastor of the church. Remember that if you're an elder or a deacon, too. You are there for the mutual encouragement of the faith. It's about participation, encouragement, mutuality. Now, it seems to me there's something really quite unique to the church, the true church in this way, because it's an expression of grace, of the of the charis and the charisma. Therefore, we have mutuality. Now, obviously, there are leaders. We believe in authority. Authority is good when it's God's authority. But it's a spiritual authority. It's from the Lord, an authority that comes from grace. So what does that mean practically? Well, we have those who are in charge of this group or that group or have this role or that ministry, and so, in a sense, are elevated. But then in another sense, they are simply one of the community. The same principle is important for missionary work. Missionaries, when they go to a country, if they are to be effective, need to go with this similar attitude. Now, they're going to teach. They do have a spiritual gift to impart. Otherwise, there'll be not much point going. But they're also going to learn. 
They want to find out more about the people. They want to sit under their ministry and learn from them and be encouraged by them and strengthened by them. Why? Because Christ is who it is all about and Christ is in all of us. It's really the principle of the priesthood of all believers that Paul is uh, talking about here. It doesn't mean there's no gift of teaching. There is Paul. He's imparting that. But as he does so, he's also quick to say that, well, he's there to be encouraged as well. He wants a mutual encouragement. Do you notice he's also going to serve? How does he describe the end of this verse? Well, he puts them first. It's not my first and then second your faith. It's yours first and then second mine. He's putting them first. He doesn't go to get something out of them. He goes to give something to them. And as I say, all this comes from grace, not human religion, because there's a real person of Jesus, truly active by his Spirit, this faith of ours in him, Jesus, who is in all of us. I can go up to the person who knows least and has fewest years in the church, and in other words, would be the last person that we would probably put in charge of one of our small groups or Bible studies or, or, or ministry. But because of this mutual encouragement of the faith, if the person is truly in Christ, then there can be an enormous encouragement together. We sense Jesus in us. And there's a sort of fire that recognizes the other, the Lord, in each. Loves Christ in each. And there's mutuality. See, this is what human religion does. Human religion creates a hierarchy with special people behind special religious barriers, doing special things. But because of grace to us all, the worst of sinners, then we all, by faith, are in Christ. And therefore, because of Christ, he through us can encourage us through us all. Now, maybe that's very different from the kind of religion you think about when you think of Christianity. You think it's just religious going through the motions, a religious hierarchy, Let me encourage you to receive the charisma, the spiritual gift of Bible teaching, faith in Jesus, and then you'll begin to experience the community of Christ as well. There's a a very well-known story of a preacher who was late for a preaching engagement. Everyone was there to hear him. People were sitting on the platform, but he hadn't turned up. And so the poor man who was leading the meeting decided he had to send to get him. You know, sometimes when you're late for a preaching engagement, you think it's going to make people particularly grateful when you finally get there. And perhaps he thought that was what he was doing, you know. But he went to send a message to this person who was uh, studying in his room. And the woman who went to get the man came back onto the platform and said to the leader of the meeting that he heard the preacher talking to someone in his room. And he was saying, I will not go unless you come with me. And the person leading the meeting said, quite right, he should not come unless that other person comes with him. Now, the preacher was talking, of course, to God. There is a spiritual gift that comes with teaching the Bible, with the gospel. There is a charis in the charisma, and that is at the heart of the mutual encouragement by faith, because the work of Christ is by his Spirit through his word. Now, some people say that Paul was just being polite here. He didn't want to seem to presume to the Romans. He never visited them. He didn't know them. He was just posing as someone who wanted to learn from them, be encouraged by them. But I think we have to say that Paul was being sincere. 
There's one uh, in one Muslim-dominated country. Some churches have put roosters on top of their steeples, an ever-present reminder not to buckle like Peter in the face of persecution. Now there's Paul, and he's being opposed. He needs them, <laughs> and they need him. No, he's not posing. He's being real. It goes with the whole character and tendency of his ministry. He wants to be encouraged by them for their participants with him in grace, their fellow inheritors of glory. They're going to encourage him as he them. It's going to be mutual. He needed their encouragement. In fact, at the end of Romans, Romans 15, verse 32, he says that uh, he would be refreshed in their company. It all comes down to the reality of this about which we're talking, that that Christ, by His Spirit, through the gospel, that God is real. The word of grace is real. We're not merely humanly exercising to make ourselves stronger by our own discipline or effort. We're being fed by the word of truth. There's a spiritual gift of this message that shapes our minds and hearts and strengthens us to withstand the winds and waves of circumstance and difficulty and triumph and temptation because Christ himself is at work in us. And we together know Him. And so when we come to church, we worship Him together and mutually encourage one another. We sing to each other. We sing well, some of us, and some of us sing poorly, but we're singing to each other. We pray for each other. We enjoy each other's company. One pastor I knew after I went to hear him preach at some very large meeting, I spotted him afterwards sitting down in a corner with a cup of tea. You can tell what this was. It wasn't in America. Um, happily listening to an 80-year-old woman talk to him about her grandchildren. Oh, you know, little Johnny's doing this. Oh, yes, interesting. You see, that's mutual encouragement. It's the grandchildren, yes, it's the 80-year-old woman. It's the faith that she has and the whole attitude that displays Jesus. And then, you see, when, you know, you and I are thinking of bringing up our children, we're in that generation, we can have an encouragement, an impetus to keep going with joy and refreshment. When we were at Yale, the Yale Divinity School students would come with all their complicated questions, and I'd really enjoy talking about them. It gave me some, you know, reason to think that all that study at Cambridge was for a purpose. You know, I could talk about this stuff. It was really fun, you know, and... And then every now and then, one dear old lady, we didn't have many old people in that congregation at the time, but one of the older people would come by and hear us talking about something very complicated, and then in a very loud voice with a very big smile say, it's all about Jesus. And they put it into perspective as uh, they were studying Wittgenstein's theory of language, or Rorty, or Derrida, or someone. Well, that's mutual encouragement. Or when you go to visit someone in hospital perhaps from your small group, and they're sick. And you see that though they are suffering, they tell you they have never known Jesus so close. And you went to encourage them. But you were encouraged, knowing that when it's your turn to be in that hospital bed, Someone has shown you that Jesus will never leave you. Shown you the way. 
encouraged you. And then we face all the complicated ideas of our time and the worldview and the philosophy of postmodernity and all that. Or legalism, if you come from some sort of very legalistic religious background. Or relativism at the other extreme. And then we dig deep into Romans and the gospel of God. And we have unique message for all nations that is uniquely about the charis and the charisma, the grace, the word of grace. And we're strengthened. We have courage and joy, hope. And we're built up in our faith together. Well, let's pray. Our Father God, we do thank you for your word of truth. We pray that it would strengthen us. We pray that this pulpit would always declare your word. We pray the same in our Bible studies and children's ministries and all the different areas of work to which this church is called. We pray for those who don't yet know you this morning, who look outside at this community and wonder how it is that they can love each other. They're so different, different age ranges from 18-year-old student to 80-year-old grandfather. Would you give them, Jesus, by your Spirit, a sense of your beauty and glory and the power of your grace? to connect them to us so that we together might uh, encourage one another. We pray that you'd help us do that, Father, whether outside uh, over coffee immediately after the service or in our small groups or in our ministries, that we be mindful of each other to build each other up in our faith, that we wouldn't think that our contribution is small or insignificant, but realize like a perfectly tuned orchestra Every part has a piece to play and is of great significance. Would you then build us up and strengthen us, we pray, for your great glory. Feed us, strengthen us, that songs of praises to you would rise up all over the world. In the name of Jesus, amen.